Well, this week we have a special message, and we'll see how special it is in the weakness of my flesh. (laughs) But a special message this week. I received an email from Pastor John MacArthur, not a personal email from him, but nevertheless an email from Pastor John MacArthur asking me to preach on a certain topic due to circumstances in Canada that affect the Canadian church, that affect the church of Jesus Christ across the entire nation of Canada, and ultimately it will affect the Western world and our own nation very soon. The letter read as follows, Dear Minister of the Gospel, I write to you this Christmas season to call your attention to an urgent matter in which the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is under attack. On December 22nd, I received an email from Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church of Edmonton in Alberta, Canada. You will remember that he was recently imprisoned for keeping his church open during COVID-19 lockdowns. James is a graduate of the Master's Seminary and co-author with Dr. Nathan Busnitz of an excellent book, God and Government, to be released March 2022, and no doubt given to all the Shepherds Conference attendees. James' recent email gave me insight into the Canadian government's decision to pass Bill C-4, which, quote, directly comes against parents and counselors who would seek to offer biblical counsel with respect to sexual immorality and gender. James indicates that it could be used to, quote, criminalize evangelism. To clarify the bill, James forwarded this email from Pastor Andrew D. Bartolo. Pastor John, thank you so much for your willingness not only to shine a light on the situation here in Canada, but also your partnership in calling other men to preach on biblical sexuality on January 16th in unity and solidarity with ministers here in Canada. I and we are truly grateful for your ministry and service. Bill C-4 passed through the House and Senate without opposition. Not a single dissenting vote was cast by any member of the Conservative Party. It received royal assent on December 8th, which means it will come into law after January 8th, 2022. The bill will amend the criminal code in Canada to ban conversion therapy. It will criminalize, among other things, quote, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. In the preamble of the bill, it says that the belief that, quote, heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and the gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. According to Canadian law, as of January 8, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will now be seen as a myth by government edict. The bill defines conversion therapy as, quote, a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. The definition is intentionally broad, and it can clearly be used against any preacher or elder who either speaks against homosexuality or transgenderism, 
or who counsels a person to obey Christ and abandon their homosexual, transgender actions and lifestyle. This means as of January 8th, 2022, it will be against the law to preach, teach, or counsel regarding God's design for marriage and sexuality. Uh, To quote this law, everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Similarly, everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment of a term not more than two years. So we're not talking about a mere mandate. We're not talking about mere sanctions. We're not talking about mere fines, but actual imprisonment and serious imprisonment. Five years, two years. On January 16th, 2022, faithful men across Canada and many in the United States will be preaching on God's design for marriage and biblical ethic of sexuality. We will be doing so illegally, declaring to the state that there is one God and one Lord over his, over his church, and that Christ alone gets to both define marriage and dictate what is required in the pulpit. We are honored that our American brothers will be joining us in this. Please feel free to let me know if you have any questions or require any more information. Yours in Christ, Andrew D. Bartolo, Teaching Elder, Encounter Church. Pastor MacArthur's letter continues. I am eager to support our Canadian brothers and to preach on biblical sexual sexual immorality on January 16th, and I invite you as a faithful pastor to do the same. Our united stand will put the Canadian and U.S. governments on notice that they have attacked the Word of God. We are all well aware of the evil power and destructive influence of the homosexual and transgender ideology. Our government is bent not only on normalizing this perversion, but also legalizing it, and furthermore, criminalizing opposition to it. In 2012, California passed Senate Bill 1172, banning, quote, gay conversion. In doing this, the California government sought to prohibit any correction of an unbiblical view of sexual identity because, quote, California has a compelling interest in protecting the well-being of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individuals. And on August 18, 2020, the Democratic Party declared at the National Convention that it would ban harmful conversion therapy practices. The Obama administration appointed more than 250 LGBTQ plus people to serve in the government. The Biden administration has promised to increase that number and they have done so thus far. As aggressive as this political priority is to make perversion safe from criticism in the United States, Canada is even further ahead. On November 29th, 2021, the House of Commons passed Bill C-4 with a completely unanimous vote, amending the code to include, quote, conversion therapy. Since this law takes effect on January 8, 2022, faithful Canadian pastors are going to preach on the issue calling for a biblical understanding of sexual sin, the eternal judgment that falls on the unrepentant and gospel-rejecting sinners, and the grace of God and the gospel which offers forgiveness to those who repent and believe in Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul clearly articulates why we must speak the truth. Quote, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All sinners need conversion. But the list focuses specifically on the sexually immoral, adulterers, effeminate, and homosexuals who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our calling as gospel ministers is to preach the truth, says Pastor MacArthur, to confront sin and to call all men to repentance and obedience to the gospel, the good news that achieves soul conversion and saves sinners from eternal wrath. He goes on to say, if we all stand strong in this conviction together, the government, governmental forces of evil will be put on notice that the divine love and sovereign grace compel us to be faithful, to proclaim radical transformation at any cost. This world system and its human governments will gladly send people to hell, but our calling is to rescue people with the truth. If you will join us, please sign your name on the linked form and take a stand the truth of the saving gospel. And this is the proof that I signed, dear saints. I printed it out. Indeed, we have signed and we're standing together with Pastor MacArthur and hundreds of other churches and pastors for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the truth, for the one true God. I want you to note that in this Bill C-4 that passed in Canada, it was unanimously passed. Both the supposed conservative right in Canada and those on the liberal left united together to pass this bill. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 2, you'll find... There, the prophetic foretelling of what just took place in Canada, what is taking place in the Western world, and what is taking place in the world at large. Psalm 2, verse 1, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, And against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. The governments of the earth, representing the people of the earth, the rebel sinners of the earth, all unite together against the Lord Yahweh and his anointed, the Christ Jesus. And they say, collectively, Verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, we have been doing that for some time, for several generations, every generation since Adam 
fell, in fact. But we've been doing that, and our current era, more concertedly, decade by decade. And we see both the right and the left moving further and further left together to where the right is no longer really right. The right is no longer really conservative in any true moral sense. And if you think that a bill like Bill C-14 that just passed in Canada won't soon be unanimously passed in the United States of America, you're wrong. Without revival, without the church of Jesus Christ standing up and boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ, soon the Word of God and the God of the Word will be criminalized. And thus anyone who obeys the God of Scripture and believes the Scriptures and teaches the Scripture and evangelizes with the Scripture and parents with the Holy Scriptures will be criminalized as well. That is where we are in human history. While mankind has many ways, they unite together and say, let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us, there is no more significant way than that which is expressed in this so-called LGBTQ plus rebellion. For it's a rebellion against the very design of God. We will no longer be the man that God created us to be. We'll no longer be the woman that God created us to be. In fact, we'll no longer tolerate those basic realities of gender, male and female. We will criminalize that even. And so we are in a pivotal time in history, saints. A pivotal time, not just in that we are called upon to stand with our northern Canadian neighbors, but a pivotal time in that if we do not stand, soon we will be right there with them. We will be criminals simply for believing God and obeying God. And they have stated their agenda quite explicitly. I read portions of the law, but I watched video footage of the legislators in Canada talking about their law and the applications thereof to parents. And they have full intention of applying their law to parents, not just pastors, not just psychologists who might engage in conversion therapy to convert a man from homosexuality to heterosexuality, but actually parents who tell their daughter that she is and always will be a girl because that's what God designed her to be. To parents 
who tell their son that he is and always will be a boy because that's what God designed him to be. And so it's the criminalization of God. It's the criminalization of truth. It's the criminalization of the Word of God. It's the criminalization of parents and pastors and evangelists and average Christians. Now this slide legally has been evident for some time and early on those Christians who stood up against the legal slide into this perverse swamp and the actual criminalization of God, early on those Christians were ridiculed by some other Christians as being alarmists, making much to do about little, if not nothing. Back in 2007, I preached a message on this topic. The title of the message was Calling Down Wrath. I preached the sermon, it was transcribed, and the transcript and a CD of the sermon was sent to Governor Kulingowski, who was the governor at the time, as well as virtually all, if not all, of the representatives in Oregon, as well as many of the churches in Oregon to exhort the clergy to take a stand. Uh, There was some effort there and some expense there. But why did I do that? Why did we do that as a church? Because I saw it as a line in the sand. That we are literally calling the wrath of God down upon our population, upon our citizens, upon our state, upon our nation. And this line in the sand, to my mind, is a Romans 1 line in the sand where God will give us over if we persist, if we allow as a society this rebellion, this Psalm 2 rebellion, to go unchecked, that God will bring judgment upon us, turning us over to these vile passions, as Romans 1 calls them. These abominable passions, as Romans 1 refers to them. And so I preach that message on April 15th, 2007, calling down wrath. Subtitled, The Acceptance and Codification of Homosexuality, Lesbianism, Bisexuality, and Transgender Lifestyles. Now, I don't want to stand here this Lord's Day and say, I told you so, back in 2007. But here's the deal the overwhelming response of hundreds of clergy that I sent the message to was silence. The second response was condemnation. The third extreme minority was yes and amen, brother. Thank you. And that is why we are here today. Not because Governor Kulingowski ignored me, Not because representatives in Salem ignored or condemned the message, but because the clergy, the pastors, either did not care or cared to condemn it, except for a tiny handful 
who said yes and amen. Brothers and sisters, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And judgment begins not just with the house of the Lord, but with the pulpit and the pulpiteer. It begins with the pastors. It begins with the under-shepherds. And so as I consider my responsibility to preach to this issue today and, and who I would preach to today, I, I really don't believe that the primary issue is a need of clarification on sexuality. As much as I respect and appreciate Pastor MacArthur's call to do that, the primary need is a call to repent. And that call is not to the homosexual community first. That call is to the pastor, to the elder, and to the Christian, to the church first. For we long ago declared peace, peace, when there can be no peace. We have been silent when we should speak. We have not been willing to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ itself, much less the law of Jesus Christ, much less Genesis as actual, historical, foundational truth. When Ken Ham came to Portland some years ago, he gathered together a large number of pastors. You know what he did? He encouraged them and he rebuked them. And because of his relative fame, there were many pastors that came that day. And because he gave away a free lunch, there were many pastors that came that day. But he rebuked them for giving up Genesis, for making Genesis irrelevant, for making it optional. He rebuked them for giving up the Word of God from the very first verse as being God's true, inspired, inerrant, preserved account of His creation of the heavens and the earth and His establishment of His design for the heavens and the earth and mankind in it, male and female, Genesis 1.26. That is the need of the hour. For as 1 Peter 4.17 says, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Cowardly, self-loving, self-serving, pastor hirelings who want bottoms and seats and dollars and offering plates, who desperately want those who hate God and hate righteousness to love and applaud them, who refuse to expose the Democratic Party's satanic platform and policies, who call that politics and have relegated that to being off-limits, who refuse to preach the whole counsel of God and to make the essential applications to citizenship and voting, and who refuse to do church discipline, have created an American evangelical church full of false converts who profess Christ as Lord with their lips, but deny Him with their woke social justice warrior, BLM, votes for God-hating Democrats, 
who are openly waging war against God, His Word, His Law, His Gospel, His Church, unborn babies, marriage, gender, and all things righteous. As well as the biblical worldview that made America the greatest, freest, most prosperous nation on the planet, saints. You see, this problem is much bigger than C-14. This problem is much bigger than homosexuality. We have been crying peace, peace, when there could be no peace for generations. We have held back the truth that the church desperately needs. The pastor hirelings refuse to biblically preach the law of God as the only absolute moral standard for mankind and the God-ordained tutor to bring men to Christ in America's pulpits. The pastor hirelings refuse to biblically preach the gospel in America's churches and call the unrepentant false converts filling their pews with the stench of sin and and death to actually repent, follow Christ as Lord, and be saved from the judgment to come. The pastor hirelings refuse to obey Christ and purge evil from Christ's church. The pastor hirelings adamantly refuse to do the work of the evangelist and fill America's cities with the name of Jesus, preaching the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the open air, in the city square, at riverfronts, on college campuses, outside abortion clinics, anywhere and everywhere perishing sinners are found. You see, this problem is not a problem with C-14 in Canada. It's a problem with cowardice in the pulpit and in the pew. We have made peace when there could be no peace. We've made peace with heterosexual sin. You'd be hard-pressed in most of the churches across Portland to find congregants that know what fornication is, that are willing, while they know what adultery is, no doubt, that are willing to condemn it as sin. That have church disciplined anyone in memory for fornication or adultery. Generations go by where the church is no longer upholding God's moral standard for sexuality in the heterosexual realm. In fact, we don't just fail to uphold God's moral standard. We don't just rebel against God's command to do church discipline out of love for God and love for the whole church and love for the individual sinners, but we actually create groups to foster fornication and adultery. Christian dating groups, Christian divorce recovery groups, where we encourage people who we should be helping to find repentance and reconciliation with their spouse, to be moving on to their next spouse or their next ex-spouse if they don't break the pattern. In most churches, youth groups are dating groups. (laughs) And everyone knows folks are fornicating. In many churches, we have young adults and older adults living together. Everyone knows they're living together. At times, even teaching Sunday school together as live-in lovers. C-14 is not the problem. 
cowardice is. Disobedience. A general debauchery and rebellion amongst professing believers. We are rightly criticized by the homosexual community for targeting them in ways that we don't target the heterosexual, sexually sinning community. We need to apply the Word of God faithfully, lovingly, to all sexual sin for love of God and love of the church as a whole, love of the individual sinners, and love of our culture and nation as a whole. But wait, saints, it gets worse. And perhaps you've already caught it or thought about it. When we fail to speak to sexual immorality as we ought, to expose it for the evil that it is, to church discipline it as God commands us to, to make no allowance for it in the body of Christ, Christ's holy bride, when we fail in that way, we are part, through our complicit silence and apathy, of the genocide of millions upon millions of unborn babies. That genocide is a direct relationship with that unchecked fornication and adultery. And we have been silent as a rule, as a church. We've been silent on the fornication. We've been silent on the adultery. We've been apathetic with the fornication. We've been apathetic with the adultery. And we've been criminally apathetic with the murder of millions upon millions of children. Most churches do nothing, nothing, nothing to rescue babies and to rescue mothers and fathers from becoming the mother and father of a murdered child, their own murdered child. Most pastors are ashamed of pastors like me, of men like me, and many of you who would dare go stand at an abortion clinic and plead for the lives of the unborn, preaching the law of God to be a tutor, to bring men to Christ, to be justified by faith, preaching the law of God to revive the conscience, that we would turn back from the slaughter of our own children. Since Roe versus Wade, the, the church, the evangelical church, has by and large been absent without leave, AWOL, from this battle, this battle that is Satan's battle, to slaughter image bearers of God by the millions. And it starts with lust, it starts with sexual immorality, it starts with heterosexual fornication and adultery. And that's gone on for generations, and the church has turned a blind eye. The pulpits have been, by and large, silent, and they've been happy to have people sitting in the pews, putting dollars in the coffers that support this slaughter. So when I hear about Bill C-4, I think, yes, that's bad. That's terrible. That's a judgment of God. That's a judgment upon our fellow man. That's a telltale sign of the end of Western civilization. But it's been a long road to get here. A long road of apathy, of compromise. And we're not just silent. 
We're not just apathetic. Year by year, I have lost all pastoral friends with some marked, praise God, exceptions. Because they don't want to be in the fight. They don't want to be anywhere near the fight. They have run from the fight. They don't want to send a sermon to the governor warning him, rebuking him, calling him to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And they don't want to be near anyone who would do such a wild-eyed thing. They don't want to be near an abortion clinic or near anyone who would want to be near an abortion clinic pleading for the lives of innocent human beings being ripped limb from limb. They don't want to be near a man on the street preaching the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wouldn't want to be near John the Baptist. They wouldn't want to be near the Apostle Paul. They wouldn't want to be near the Lord Jesus Christ, a preeminent open-air preacher, if you read the text, who the whole world rejected and cried, crucify him, crucify him, give us this criminal, give us Barabbas, kill him. Because he dared stand against our government. The government united, Roman and Jew, the government united against God and his Christ. Why did John the Baptist lose his head? Why did he, who was the greatest man born of women, said, born of a woman, said Jesus, why did he lose his head? He exposed the sexual immorality of the ruler. Dear Saints, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Praise God. A few years back, and a necessary split came in the evangelical world. This doctrine called wokeism invaded Christ's church. It had already been there in the form of liberalism. That's all it is. And men like Mark Dever, Legan Duncan... And others fell prey to it because they had long been compromised. They had long tolerated men and women who professed to be followers of Jesus Christ, filling their pews and singing about how much they love Jesus while they vote for the slaughter of the unborn. They had long refused to call them to repentance and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And compromise begets compromise begets compromise. And finally, things came to a head. Their full woke disposition came to the light of day. And there was a split on the stage, on the platform at the Shepherds Conference. It was necessary. It was needed. It it should have come long before. 
Today, America and the Western world is reaping the whirlwind. And the pastor hirelings and their compromising congregants are crying, God's judging America. God's judging Canada. While their unregenerate, unrepentant, false Christian, woke, social justice, BLM, brothers and sisters are down the church aisle celebrating the Democratic Party's insurrection against God and country. Sunday by Sunday, they hold hands and blasphemously sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. This moral insanity's got to end. This long-standing, widespread, ecclesiastical, congregational, and individual, unholy compromise can't go on. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. After much long-suffering patience, God is now judging pastor hirelings and their lukewarm churches that have long squandered the constitutional freedoms He so graciously and providentially provided them to raise their children as godly offspring in their homes. That's a gift of God. And C4 in any legislation like it is a direct assault upon the home and your ability to raise your children in the faith and protect them from the lies of the devil. The abominable lies. The perverse lies. We are still called and commanded to raise our children in the faith, to preach the word in the pulpit, to preach the glory of Christ and his gospel in the open air from sea to shining sea. And we'll do it under God-hating Democratic Party tyrants who aim to criminalize it and us if need be. But I prefer to do it freely. I prefer to see my children and grandchildren live their lives in a free nation where they can freely serve Christ and make his name great. Merely Voting for conservative politicians won't do. C4 was voted into law unanimously by conservative and liberal politicians together. Dear church, we need revival. We need repentance. We need intolerance of a False conversion. We want to talk about conversion. We want to defend conversion. We need conversion in the pew. We need conversion in the pulpit. There are false converts among us who happily support the slaughter of the unborn. It's no big deal. Eh, it's just politics. We need conversion in the pew where we have fornication openly going on. 
We need conversion in the pew where we have adultery openly going on. We need conversion in the pew where we have homosexuality now openly going on. Where we have so-called pastor Brad Williams at the B4 church, one of the largest churches in Portland, baptizing lesbian couples and homosexual couples as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's a servant of Satan. He's a liar and the truth isn't in him. And yet he's the pastor of one of the largest churches in Portland. And there is silence. Silence. As men do these evil things. As false teachers teach these doctrines of demons. We cannot have peace if there is no peace. Do you have friends in that church? Do you have friends in churches like it? That are happy to sit there with people who cast their vote for politicians, who foster, aid and abed the slaughter of countless millions of children? We cannot have peace with that. We've got to call them to stand for Christ. Oh, there is a price to be paid for this sort of behavior, this stand for Christ. There's a price to be paid when you go against the kings of the earth and the rulers who take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. And that price will soon be paid if things do not turn around in Canada by pastors, by parents, by average Christians. Some years back, on January 17th, 2013, a woman went into a bakery in Gresham, Oregon, just across Portland from us. The bakery by the name of Sweet Cakes. And they put in an order for a wedding cake. When Aaron Klein discerned that this was a wedding for two women, he graciously said, quote, I'm very sorry. I believe I've wasted your time. We do not do cakes for same-sex weddings. That led to the destruction of their business, death threats, Vandalism and an order from the state of Oregon to pay $144,000 
to the lesbian couple for their emotional distress. Some of you will remember that it was Brad Avakian, the Commissioner of Labor and Industries, who led out this attack upon the Christian bakery owners. That same labor commissioner, at that exact same time, back in 2013, 2014, set his sights upon me and our church. Why? Well, because he serves Satan. He's a servant of the devil. And because I and we serve Christ. And we're not quiet about it. Brad Avakian and the Bureau of Labor and Industries sent me this letter, August 26, 2013. A certified letter I had to sign for at the door of my home. It says, Dear Mr. O'Neill, it has come to the attention of the Bureau of Labor and Industries that activity at the Lovejoy Surgery Center, Portland's most murderous abortion clinic, may interfere with women's access to the medical services that the Surgery Center provides. While the Bureau respects the rights to freedom of speech and assembly, that's a lie, we have become aware of reports of activity that may transcend state and federal free speech protection. He goes on to quote uh, many different portions of Oregon law, a few court decisions, historic court decisions, and then he moves to the threats. Individuals as well as the commissioner of bureau may file a complaint which the Civil Rights Division would investigate. If the investigation concluded that there is substantial evidence of a violation, the Bureau may issue charges which could result in the assessment of damages and other remedies against violators. Damages could include an an order to pay money for emotional distress. Exact same term they used for the Kleins and other harmed individuals. The commissioner can also issue cease and desist orders precluding violators from engaging in unlawful conduct. Violation of a commissioner's order is a Class A misdemeanor punishable by up to one year in prison and a $6,250 fine per violation. Now, mind you, he sent this to me at the exact same time. He was fining the Kleins $144,000. Applying some of the same laws he quoted here to me, that he used against the Kleins. He continued to apply pressure in various ways. He went to the press and tried to defame us in the press and continued threats. And it really appeared going into the 2016 election that should Hillary Clinton be elected that I would soon be going to prison for up to a year or more time and receiving these fines. And some of you will recall that at that time I I took uh, my first sabbatical, uh, took a month trip with my two youngest children and my wife across the United States, went to Branson, Missouri, a very Christian place, enjoyed a wonderful time there, went to uh, the Ark in Kentucky, enjoyed that greatly, and went to Washington, D.C., 
and uh, enjoyed our capital there. It was especially enjoyable to visit the capital in that Hillary Clinton lost. To everyone's shock, in the midst of this grand trip across America, a trip that I planned to spend with my family before going to prison, that Hillary was thwarted. And of all things, President Trump was elected and became one of the greatest presidents our nation has ever had. Simultaneously, back here in Oregon, simultaneously, Oregon voters did a remarkable thing. For the first time in 14 years, they elected a Republican to statewide office and put Brad Avakian out. Now, that's nearly a miracle in Oregon. And I considered it amazing grace for me personally, my family, and for our precious body, and for our city, that the gospel would continue to go forth, that the law of God would continue to go forth, that abortion, the ruthless slaughter of the unborn, would continue to be thwarted and stood against. And praise God, now, these years later, the Lord has been pleased to protect our ministry. He's been pleased to protect me, protect my family. I did not go to prison. I have not been fined. Brad Avakian is out of office. And the Lovejoy Surgery Center is closed. The Word of God is a hammer. It is a fire. And it will prevail against evil if we will faithfully swing that hammer and unleash that fire. There must be revival in the church. There must be repentance in the church or soon swinging the hammer of God's word, even privately in our own homes, unleashing the fire of God's word, even privately upon the hearts and minds of our children, much less to a congregation. All they need do if a C4 gets passed and you get a brat of vacian to enforce it, all they need do is send a homosexual on a given Sunday and they'll shut down every church in America or Canada. All they need to do is get online and look up any number of sermons that I've preached on the topic of homosexuality. Which again is part of why I don't feel so pressed to preach a clarifying message on homosexuality. God rebuke the pastor who for the first time last week preached a message clarifying the sinfulness of homosexuality. Now I suspect any that did preach it last week likely have preached it faithfully before. But if that was their first time, they need to repent. They're part of the problem. If we will not stand and speak to the issue of the day, that place where Satan is so clearly attacking, then we are cowards. We're unfaithful. We're hirelings. And Satan has been attacking through sexual immorality for decades. 
fornication, adultery, and the slaughter of the unborn. These had been our sins for decades. And they've been present in the church, not just outside the church. And so we must stand up as pastors, as elders, as men and women of God, as the church of Jesus Christ. And we must stand up in our circle of influence. Other professing believers compromised. Other professing believers in compromised churches. We've got to speak to them in love. The time for compromise is over. It was always sin to compromise. But now it's, it's a madness. It's a madness. I don't know how anyone could sit in one of these churches. I don't know why they bother. I don't know why they would tithe to it. I don't know why they'd bother to get up and comb their hair, brush their teeth and show up. We've got one opportunity to glorify our King. One opportunity to be the church in our generation that's described as the church in the first generation was with the words, they turned the world upside down. They filled their city with the doctrine of Christ. That's why we're here to turn the world upside down. That was the accusation in a court setting against the early church. They turned the world upside down. That's essentially Brad Avakian's accusation against me. Hey, look, you're turning the world upside down here at the Lovejoy, and we're not going to allow it. Well, we need to turn the world upside down. That's our job. And when the church was arrested for doing their job, when they were beaten for doing their job, when they were killed for doing their job, they kept doing their job. Because Christ is king. And the king has said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The king has said, go and preach repentance. What is conversion? Repentance. They're going to outlaw conversion? Our command is to go preach repentance. Our cry to the whole world is repent and believe the gospel. They're outlawing Jesus and his great commission. And C4 won't be the last of legislation to criminalize God, to criminalize Jesus, to criminalize the Great Commission, to criminalize parents, to criminalize the Word of God, to criminalize Christ's church, to criminalize you as men and women and fathers and mothers and Christians. C4 won't be the last legislation if Christ's church doesn't stand up. And Brad Avakian won't be the last activist to take laws like C4 and blow up Christ's church, blow up families, taking children from parents, 
criminalizing the parents. They won't just blow up bakeries. It'll be families. This is Psalm 2 being played out. What is our comfort? Here it is. Psalm 2 verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I would declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Saints, this whole world may cry, crucify him, crucify him. This whole world may well rise up against our God and King, but it's already been declared we are blessed. We are secure in the grace of God. Our future is bright. Our future is certain. We are more than victors in Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. The King is coming. On a great white horse. He's a conquering king. He's a warring king. He comes with the sword of his mouth to make war against rebel mankind. And every man and woman involved in this uprising will be slain and cast into the lake of fire where they will suffer eternal torment forever and ever. I don't want that for them. I want them to come to repentance and faith. And praise God, some of them will. But faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And how will they hear without a preacher? The battle is raging. The need of the hour is to press in. Not pull back. Not pull back because they'll call us misogynists. Not pull back because they'll call us bigots. Not pull back because they'll call us science deniers. Not pull back because they'll call us Bible thumpers. Whatever they might want to call us. They called Jesus Beelzebub. And he told us that they'll call us worse things. What will Jesus call you? Will he call you doulos, well done, good, and faithful doulos? Or will he say, go from me? I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. There are many that profess Christ that will hear those fateful words, those terrible words. They'll come saying, Lord, Lord. 
And he will say, go from me. They will come claiming their their good Christian deeds. And he will say, go from me. You who prophesied and did signs and wonders and whatnot. Go from me, you who practice lawlessness. Conversion is the need of the hour. Conversion in the pulpit. Conversion in the pew. Revival is the need of the hour. A pure, holy church that proclaims God's holy standard and calls sinners to not just believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. For that's the message Christ commanded us to preach. Mark 1.15. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your house with your people. May we be strengthened. May we be encouraged. May we go, therefore, in the coming weeks and months. Lord, we praise you for your mercy in removing Brad Avakian. We praise you for your mercy in, in not allowing Hillary Clinton to become our commander-in-chief. We pray you'd remove this current tyrant and replace him with a man who will uphold the Constitution, your providential gift to our nation and to mankind as a whole, Lord, as it allows us as a nation to preach Christ's seed of shining sea and around the globe. We ask, Father, for mercy in the form of repentance, starting with the pastors and the elders and the men and moving out to the whole body of Christ, Lord, every man, every woman, every professing believer, and that, Father, There'd be a pure church, a holy church, a powerful church in the earth, obeying Christ Jesus, going, therefore, making disciples. And we pray it in the mighty name, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.